Hi, Cynthia. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Hui. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I know this is on Taiwanese diaspora, but you are a sister from Malaysia. Yes. We'll just put this on the Taiwanese and friends series that I have going on sometimes. And we、mm. might just mix it up with English and Chinese. Let's see. We're in Sisson, so I should answer the. My name is Jia Huying. I was in Jamaica playing the pickleball tournament with Cynthia. I was in 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 the pickleball tournament with Cynthia. 一个台湾的好朋友，还有一个美国的好朋友，想要在泰国清迈做的一个 project， 想要跟大家分享。所以谢谢 Cindy 邀请我来他的 podcast。Also new friend in the neighborhood. Can you share a little bit about your backstory? Okay, so we were playing pickleball. That was like goal number one. But then there was something about that first day that we met. I think that just enabled a lot of opening. And I don't remember if that was before or after the Camino that I did. I think it was before. Before, okay. Did we meet in the winter? When did we? Was it、I、last year? I think it was last year before you went on the trip. It was probably fall. Okay, because the weather was kind of nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot going on. I think at that time. I mean, there's always.、Mm-hmm. I'm trying to reduce the number of things that stress me out. But at the time, I think I was very, very highly stressed.、Mm-hmm. It might have actually even been right after my layoff, possibly, or、yes. right before, or something like that. Yes. And we know some of the same entities and organizations、mm-hmm. here in the like Taiwan Zhongguozhiji's Fangmian, and I learned a lot about your story and it gave me a lot of encouragement.、Mm-hmm. So、Thank、I guess、you. let's start there. Yeah. So I met Cynthia when she was going through a lot of transitions. I think at the time I was going through some transitions myself, and I volunteer for Zhiji Foundation since college. So it's been almost seventeen years now since I started volunteering for them. Wow! Just everywhere you go. Yeah, I think in most cities there is a Tsuji office. I try to help,、yeah. and I work online for them.、Wow. Can you explain what Tsuji is for the American audience? Yeah, Tsuji Foundation is a global Buddhist humanitarian foundation that does a lot of work in charity, education, culture, and medicine. And I volunteered for them in local community projects, like going to visit nursing homes or partnering with other nonprofit, like homeless shelters, providing food. Basically, just trying to encourage people that are very privileged to give back to society, either through actual volunteering with other partners or giving financially. Is it a Taiwanese organization? Yes, it is based in Taiwan. It was started in Taiwan, but now they have chapters all over the world. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Because you had left your corporate career, so you volunteer with Suji, which is how we kind of know some of the same people, and yeah, the corporate transition into、yeah. what you do now. Yeah, we were talking a lot about health because I think both of us were suffering from some burnout and fatigue from the corporate life or the modern lifestyle. And at the time, I was still in grad school. I think I was graduating from my acupuncture program, and I was about to start my own practice. So we connected on Chinese medicine and acupuncture a little bit, and I think you were already exposed to a lot of Chinese medicine and acupuncture knowledge growing up from your mom, 
and it, you just wanted to share and talk a little bit about how that could support your transition. So yeah, so I was very burnt out from my corporate life for six years and then traveled a little bit just to see the world and then decided to go back to acupuncture school before the pandemic and during the pandemic. So I was very lucky that I graduate right after the pandemic and we are able to start practicing and learning with real people. So yeah, so now I left my finance job in insurance doing pricing and risk analysis to now I do acupuncture. And I also studied ancestral healing in the year before I started acupuncture school. I met some teachers teaching generational trauma and family constellation. And in Taiwan, this is also very popular. It's called 家庭组合并列排列疗法。在台湾简称家牌。家牌。然后在美国,我们叫family constellation。然后很多是怎么样systemically,就是有系统的去看我们现在遇到的一些挫折或是障碍,然后用很系统化的去了解这是不是 生生世世或是很多事很多个generation在家庭里面因为战争啊因为贫困啊还是因为其他的原因我们祖先承受了一些的难过或是一些grief。And we just took it on unconsciously, so it could be generational trauma from poverty, oppression, or war that kind of remains in the collective family soul. And when we don't process that, it shows up in our individual life. So that's kind of how I came into this healing work. And because it's also very popular in Taiwan, and I think the Taiwanese diaspora in the U.S. are possibly also exposed to this. So, yeah. And how does that work with therapy? I think of it in the context of therapy. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually reading a book right now, whose title I forget, but I was about to text you this morning, about generational trauma and healing and how really you can't go to talk therapy mm-hmm. without having to dig into your past your childhood and your family of origin mm-hmm. the book is called origins of you the concept of mental health and therapy is still very taboo mm-hmm. at least in in asia asia right so what do i think about them so my teachers are both psychotherapists and they've supported a lot of people in the u.s from the therapeutic lens and then their own clinical experience have guided them to see that when you do a lot of work on this person's person's cognitive behavior all the patterns that they could do from their childhood until now they are still remnants of things that couldn't be explained away by this person's actual lifetimes of work that's why they started studying generational trauma and looking at patterns of how certain cultures or certain families look at money power and sexuality those mm-hmm. tend to be the juiciest subjects that people have blocks in. Yeah. And sometimes there are also inherited family diseases or a family mental illness that troubles a lot of families. And I fully agree that in Asia, we don't have enough comfort and transparency to discuss these taboo subjects easily. Even the whole trauma of the Second World War is so tremendously wide spread its effects over Southeast Asia, Malaysia, Singapore, and Taiwan, and China. There's rarely any ceremony that we do annually to consciously grieve or remember the men that have fallen, the women that were raped, and all the orphans that were born out of incest or rape or all these war trauma. Mm -hmm. And I think it has tremendously affected the way we think about war, 
power, money, sexuality, and how men and women relate to each other. In my language, I call it the wounds between the masculine and the feminine. And I know people might think, oh, this is too traditional. Is this like saying that women should be traditional, men should be whatever? I don't think it's just that. I think there is a lot of generational patterns we inherit and we're loyal to. Because, for example, in Chinese culture, we think it's better to give and be generous. Taiwanese people have a very generous gift-giving culture. Whenever you go to someone's house, you bring something. And if so, it's always like you have to. Yes, you're obligated. Yeah, to do it. yeah, and it's very similar to the Japanese culture of gift giving, and you're just expected to keep this culture of like, yeah, I want to be the generous one, and to receive from a friend or ask for help is still seen as kind of more vulnerable and almost a shameful thing. Like, I shouldn't ask for help; I should be the one giving help. And I think sometimes I wonder, like, being a volunteer in the volunteer community. Do they actually often positively encourage asking for support? I don't think that was actually consciously practiced. And in Sizi, the Sugushi will always talk about fa-qing guanhuai or like community care for fellow volunteers, and it's almost often spoken as a thing that we care for other people. It's always about give care. It's never about asking for help. It's never about I feel stuck. I feel isolated. I feel trapped. Can I ask for help? So for me, I think that's one of the very big reason why I connected with you deeply is that both of us are learning to see these blocks in our culture, and how can we start asking for help? And it's this moment that I told Cynthia, I have a retreat I want to plan, but I struggle with creating content and really telling people about it. That Cynthia said,、like, "Oh, I I have a podcast. I can help you." And it's like this shift of mindset of like saying, "Can I ask the universe and my community for support, for help, to help my dream or an intention move forward?" So for me, that's really beautiful in one of our connections. That's why I value Cynthia a lot. She really、Aww. sees the possibility of what can happen when we ask. But you're also the one that was telling me,、mm-hmm. you know, early on about. Just trusting the universe, you know. I, I'm really stuck on this whole "what am I doing with my life" thing. Like perennially, it's not just like this period where you've known me, but like for my entire life. And I think one of the first things we talked about, and then subsequently also, is just about trusting in the universe.、Mm-hmm. I find it interesting that you do talk about giving and receiving help because you're you're a big giver.、Mm-hmm. And so maybe this is like one of the blocks that you have about not being able to ask for help and、mm-hmm. be open to receiving help. But you're very open in helping other people、mm-hmm. like me、mm-hmm. figure out how to do that. So yeah, it's kind of an interesting sort of dynamic. Yeah, I feel like I've received a lot from you, and I've asked so much from you.、Nah. Even and I feel like Cynthia has invited me to so many off. Awesome opportunities. She's invited me to co-working opportunities in the Boston area, where I've met the most amazing female entrepreneurs that are all starting out in different phases of their career. And because the openness of Cynthia's invite, I was ready to go network and realize that there is this new way of economy where we could literally barter any services and say, "Oh, you're a coach. You're a writer." I want you to help me do this, and I'll give you a session as an acupuncturist or whatever, right? And then there is also so many ways that we could collaborate as content creator or content explorer. 
So I feel like you've opened so many doors for me without even knowing that. And I think a lot of times we don't realize the little invites that life gives us. Like my friend always says that human design is his new thing now. A lot of people look into human design and I'm a generator. And they say that the generators are better at responding to invites and it frustrates them when they're initiating. So for some people, mm -hmm. responding to invites is actually a more flow in their character and their successes. So I've been like contemplating that, like at what point do we initiate because we are responding to the life's calling, right? The universe calls and say, Cynthia, maybe make a podcast about something. And Cynthia responded by creating something. Well, it took a lot of like, <laughs> I felt like there was a lot of calls on that. Right? <laughs> like what called to you? On, what like... called to you that you made this? Oh, I don't know. That's probably a longer, we can maybe talk about that in a different session. But similarly, mm -hmm. I was in a stuck place at that point in my life. And I think, I think the universe's way of providing at that point was showcasing like putting someone in my life path who had done it, who was a couple steps mm -hmm. ahead and made the stakes low enough where mm -hmm. it didn't feel that scary to start. It still took me a while to start. Yeah. And the same way that right now and all the stuff that I want to do Mm -hmm. with my other creative projects it's still like yes. a slow burn right like yes um but something I've been reading lately is like you don't need to know it's like it's just maybe you can tell me more about this manifestation idea mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. it feels like or it reads as you don't have to know how you just have to know that you want it or know that mm -hmm. you can do it maybe and then the universe is going to provide a how but because I always get stuck on the how like, mm -hmm. I want this thing. How do I get it? If I don't know how, then I'm not going to pursue it. Mm -hmm. Versus, mm -hmm. I mean, we talk, you talk about manifestation a lot. Yes. So for the Chinese speaking people, manifestation is hua. So there are beliefs that our thoughts create this reality. In Buddhism, is everything is created by perception. And there are people that are trying to bend this reality by intending something. And... I love this question because I think for me, it's not just about knowing the how. A lot of times it's knowing the why and knowing the what. And I think every day we are forced to decide, like, what do I wake up for? What do I get out of bed for? And what is this for, right? Is this just because my gut is responding to a calling? Like, today I want to write. Today I want to go meet someone new. Today I want to connect with this person that I know is struggling. Today, I want to make a difference. Today, I want to talk to someone who is hurting. Today, I want to love. Today, I want to cook. Today, I want to eat. Today, I want to experience life. I think there is always invite from the universe for us to experience so many different paths of creation and attempting, connecting, and then also failing and being disappointed or like heartbroken. I think it's all part of the soul's expansion to like experience different just different diverse experiences i was talking to someone about are we god who is god and can we believe that all of us at some point was part of god if we're all super powerful we could make anything happen it means you know everything you know what is going to happen next second you can get clothes you can make anything happen you're in full control of everything it literally means that nothing can happen for you because nothing is unexpected then life becomes pretty boring. So that God can experience joy, sadness, 
anger, all at the same moment, which means this God can't feel anything because they're everything. There is no one else, just them. And this consciousness or God itself or herself or themselves was so lonely that they wanted to feel. I want to make a friend for myself. So they split themselves in half to create a different experience. So for example, it wanted to know what Cynthia's life would be like. So it created Cynthia so that Cynthia could go experience and create a whole journey that's Cynthia alone. And then the consciousness itself would know this is how Cynthia reality is and this is how Cynthia feels and this is how not being Cynthia feels like. So the consciousness really loves that. That's why it created you. And I think consciousness wanted to know how being Hui would feel like. So it created me. So I get to go on this crazy journey experiencing the universe. Because it would be really boring if I tell you, go into this video game, you can do whatever you want and build whatever you want. All the monsters you can defeat, there's really no point. I think all of life's game that we play, even pickleball, is because of the randomness, right? It's like, oh, I don't know where the ball is going to land. I'm going to try and run for it. So I feel like there is something about play. But the randomness doesn't sit. Yes, there's something about play, I think, in all this, this psychology stuff. But there's something unsettling about mm. not knowing. Mm -hmm. right and that's where like the anxiety comes up yes. that's where like the need to control comes up mm -hmm. sorry i interrupted you but i was like yeah, yeah i understand <laughs> that's the crux of it right like that's i think that it's like if we fall in love will we be with this person forever or will they break our heart will we separate or one of us will die there's a lot of risk that we take every day even choosing love or not choosing love and then if we choose to build a project creating this episode would anyone listen maybe the universe will bring the right person like the listener that's listening to us right now is it worthwhile just to create this just for us to have this conversation and for the ethers to hear it or the spirits to hear this conversation or for ourselves to hear it it's really hard to know right and i think well i think part of it is like part of the maybe if we put it in the play context mm -hmm. or exploring having conversation i think I mean, for me, podcasting with people and interviewing them has been a really great way to get to know them. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, it doesn't really matter who listens or doesn't listen on the other end. Yeah. I mean, at the beginning, before I even started, I was like, of course, somebody has to listen. But then once you're in it, it's like, I'm doing yeah. it for me. Exactly, right? It's like when you dance or create art, the journey of creating itself is the gift. It doesn't even matter what the art is, right? It's like kids right. like to paint and they play with all the paint and then eventually the artwork is trashed. But it's a journey of creating that is the whole process, right? And I think a lot of us in capitalistic society believes in that the outcome is the only metric. Oh, yeah, I worked out, I lost 10 pounds. Look at my six pack. We only care about the six pack. But actually, the more precious thing is actually the journey of getting there, right? How much did you prioritize your health to like really choose yourself every day? And I think just like the Camino, when I asked you, what did you accomplish with the Camino? No one can say that they accomplish anything. It was just a long walk. But the walk itself... Well, I thought it was spiritually transformational for me. I mean, initially, I think it was like, oh, how many miles did you walk? Or like, oh my mm. gosh, you know, it's all about like the metrics like you were saying. And I think that's what I kind of went in with as well. Part of me anyway. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, it's it would be a failure if I didn't finish. Mm -hmm. And it was all about finishing. But I think in the process, mm -hmm. and what I'm trying to still mm -hmm. digest and write about is the different moments mm. that I felt I was being transformed. Oh. 
And I think you noticed it when I came back. I don't know if I still have that glow now, but I definitely had a glow you do. when I came back. You, do. you still do. You totally still do. Cynthia is always my glowing friend. Oh. For people who haven't met her, please do meet her in person. She is always glowing. I think that's the beautiful thing that you just put into words, right? I think we are often so distracted by the metrics and technology, big data likes to measure each of us as a little data point. Who is this person most likely to consume or buy? Let me shoot ads at her so she will buy this workout pants or like workout bra from this awesome sustainable company, right? And I think technology has diminished all of us humans into these little data points so that we can create a pattern and systemically look at what's going to move humanity forward. But I think the give is, all, like you said, all the little moments, right? Like even when I ask you or to describe how do you feel what is those moments of transformation, right? It's like hard to quantify. It's a qualifiable experience. Yeah. Just like if I were to ask the audience, what was your most significant moment in life or your favorite food that you ate? We're probably not going to remember the price of the steak or like the noodles that we ate, but we would remember those moments. Like, oh, I went to this place. It was so romantic. I was with my friends. The soup was so good. The food was out of this world. Or like, oh, I went to see this completely unexpected park i don't even know where it is but it was so beautiful in nature and you were fully transformed in those moments there was no metrics yeah. do you think those moments are more are stronger because you are with the people you're with or maybe you're like connecting to yourself which is i think mm -hmm. my first appreciation for that kind of stuff came via the camino i think you know it's easy to say like oh it's like the journey that matters people you meet along the way blah 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 but like mm -hmm. there was for me, I think a moment of realizing, because like mm -hmm. there are moments where I try to capture pictures, right, of these yeah. like, pretty places. But at the end of the day, you look at it and you're like, I have no idea where this is. Mm -hmm. And it's just like some tree. It, there's only a, it's hard to capture three dimensional stuff in two dimensional space yes. in the same way that it's hard to capture it only mm -hmm. in words or only in sounds. But like when you're immersed in the environment, like you can, it's almost like I think one of my friends on the Camino is trying to tell me I can take basically bottle up this feeling mm. and remember it later, right? Like in ways mm. that I can't get via pictures mm. or journaling or yeah. all, all these other ways I try to capture the memories. <laughs> and it's like hard to like go back. But I think, I mean, maybe this is why people meditate. It's interesting that you say this, right? I think what you're describing is like the moment of flow, like mm -hmm. the moment where nothing is distracting us we're just literally right here right for me there is this moment of flow when i'm here with you just listening to you and like feeling so honored that we get to share this on air it's like we're in this vacuum room just listening to each other and like being in each other's mind or state of mind i i think it's kind of like like you said like it's a vibe right it's it's everything that's there it's a connecting to self and to others one of the things I learned in a lot of the retreats I've attended is true attunement or like deep listening and deep presence can only happen when we're fully present ourselves. Like when we're fully in connection with how we feel right now. It's like, I know how I feel right now. I'm in connection with my body, mind and soul. And then I make this space to attune and listen to someone else's story. And when you can actually do both, it's a more healthy and sustainable level of presence. And I think the Camino created that environment because you're walking with yourself. So there's a lot of space to hold what's alive in you and what needs to be witnessed. 
And then with all that presencing for your inner self, you go meet other people that are doing the same exact thing. And they are making space for that authentic connection and attunement. So all the attunements that you get to experience on the trail, it's tremendously transformational because that's the authentic level of presencing that we need. When we think about our lives here, most of the time, even when we're co-working, we're like, oh, I'm distracted by our computers, what we're trying to do. And then when we listen to someone, oh, let me stop my train of thought. I'm going to just listen to them. But I completely lost track of what I was doing or what I was thinking about. So it's like really hard to manage and juggle so many things. So mm -hmm. the presence that we can offer each other oftentimes is very superficial. And a lot of us don't even know what attunement is. I don't even know what the Chinese word is for attunement. But in music, we tune the piano, tiao yin. And attunement is like so I find that so magical when you describe the Camino. Yeah. I mean, part of this is like, this reminds me of like what my therapists have been saying or people on the Camino too, some of them. Mm -hmm. You know, early on in the Camino, you're like rushing, rushing, rushing. How many miles can I get a day? Like, can I get the the bed if I like go fast enough or whatever right and at some point you learn to slow down a little bit and that's a big thing in therapy is like let's sit with your emotion let's slow down man shalai and it's very uncomfortable and like one of the things that my therapist and I were talking about also for a while I think before the Camino but I didn't really get it after the Camino I think I kind of got a little bit more it's like I was like, oh, I was so proud, you know, like oh, there were so many flowers on the Camino and I would just like start stopping mid-trail. Like initially I was just like running by, taking pictures, keep going. And then eventually I stopped. I was like, you know, I'm going to stop here and take five deep smells, just intake the fragrance of the roses. And she was like, well, that's great. Like, why don't you do that here too? So then I started doing that in the spring when I got back, like between my house and your house, there's some people have like really beautiful flowers and roses. But I didn't understand. I finally asked her, like, what is the what is the point of stopping and doing it for just one moment longer? Right. And it's this practice of building up the tolerance to, I guess, intolerance. Mm. Yeah. It's so it's such an antithesis to like how we live our lives. Or whatever. Right. This is like it sounds like a lot of. Mm -hmm. adults in my life <laughs> rushing me to do stuff right and like this concept of slowing down and you can still get things done without mm -hmm. building this anxiety in you to do it mm -hmm. and I think I don't know like if you you've in all of the work that you've been doing it seems like you probably have also had to break this pattern Mm -hmm. I'm still working on it, right? Yeah. It's a lifelong pattern. Sure, it's a lifelong thing. I Which think, they all say, yeah. and it's like so frustrating to hear, but at some point it's supposed to get easier. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I love how you put it. And I think it's in, in systemic trauma work, we call this capitalistic trauma, right? And then there's, I, when I speak about my own journey, I think it's my own wordiness wound. There is this guilt of like, if I don't pack my schedule full every day, if I'm not treating as many people as I can be, if I'm not working on my projects, then I'm not worthy. I'm lazy. Because I'm, I'm not, not being productive. productive. Yeah. It's like, if I didn't produce enough value, then I'm not a valuable human being. And when I did work on this pattern, what I found in my field work is that 
it's a pattern that often affects immigrants. Indigenous people don't really have this issue, this trauma. The idea is that when you're an immigrant, you're visiting a new town, you're trying to include yourself into a new village. And then the villagers are like, who are you? Why should we let you live here? Most of the time when you want to earn belonging, you offer gifts, you offer like services. You say, oh, I can do this for you. This is my economic value or this is what I could serve. And and then it's a very kind gesture, generosity gesture, but it's also starts to create the subconscious belief that we are only allowed and included and wanted because we bring value. And then it introduces this idea that everything is a transaction because we want to be reciprocal. It's like, oh, this person gave me a gift, I'm holding it now, I'm going to pay Yeah, it's like this Very culture. Like, too, yeah, though, it's right? like, oh, someone came in here, they brought something, the next time I will give them something back. And it's a general human trait to want to be balanced in giving and taking because whenever we receive, there's usually a little bit of guilt. When we give, there's a little bit of entitlement, like, oh, I'm the generous one. And I think this is just subconsciously how we relate and when we can be consciously transactional and really own what it is that we want to give from joy not from obligation and also receive and ask from joy and give from joy I think that's when we can really shift this dynamic because I think the trauma of like yeah I'm not worthy unless I'm producing value is really deep I think a lot of I, I say the type A Asian kids are like always like, oh, if I'm not working out in the gym, I'm not being productive. If I didn't push myself to the limit, if I didn't work as hard as I could, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I'm not the best employee here. And I think a lot of people say, oh, this is why the immigrant cultures are so awesome. They are so hardworking. But when you really look at indigenous lifestyles and the nomadic people that used to live on the land where they depended on the weather on the hunt and like the season of like animals that they could hunt there's a lot of surrender to nature right there's like oh if there's no good weather no good fishing herd then they're gonna starve for a few days and there is this acceptance like yeah heaven gives and heaven takes and there's a really nice quote that i really like i forgot who said it but the idea is that nature never rushes but everything gets accomplished mm. and i think it's really beautiful right if we look at nature it's fall. Now all the colors have changed and a lot of leaves are falling, right? And I'm just like, when did this freaking happen? We were just in summer. We had some really hot days in Boston. But the leaves have changed so quickly. And it's like, it's, but they did it so subtly, so slowly that we never even noticed it. It's just like, sometimes you go to bed the next day, your garden's full of weeds or like something just grew. And it's just like our nails. If we don't look at it, three days later, it's like, oh, I need to trim my nails now. Or four days later. And then you're like, how did this happen? And in Buddhism, we call this Xingyun or the aggregate of action, where little things are always happening in the background. And there is a flow of things. We call it in the systemic field or like the greater field of nature. It's just that a lot of us are not conscious of that, right? Like things develop, things flow, and like a project or a story in your head, a book that you wanted to write is actually slowly growing in the field of consciousness. It's just that we need to intentionally water the seeds and like water the connections or like support it to grow. And then I think the hustle culture of capitalism is like, look at the measurable stuff. And there is this idea that the no pain, no gain. Therefore, success should be painful. Success should be hard. And it's I yeah. think it's a really toxic belief that we have allowed generations to indoctrinate 
us to think. And there's always still the same story, right? If you're a creative, you can't make money. If you're an artist, oh, you're gonna be poor. You're gonna be starving. Or if you're in, or you have to sell out. Yeah. Or if you're in charity, you shouldn't make money because that's evil. Money is evil. Power is evil. If you have power, you're gonna be corrupted. And I think a lot of this is outdated and wrong ideas about resources. Because in nature, if you think about the most powerful storm, you don't think the storm is evil. The hurricanes is horrible and very intense, but we just marvel at its force. In like water is the softest element, but it shapes so many canyons and mountains, right? So it's like there is a different relationship to power and time in nature that I find very inspiring. And for me, that's one of the biggest medicine I've received since I started studying Chinese medicine and family constellation, is to like really feel into what is in nature that we humans have departed from, and apart from the Camino and meditation, can we intentionally go into a retreat or design our life in a way that we allow this space for transformation or for something that wants to invite us into the next chapter? To bloom, I think there are so many opportunities and so many cool ideas that wants to be healed and supported. I just think that our modern lifestyle oftentimes encouraged us by and by and by. It's like we're so overwhelmed with ideas, knowledge, stuff that you need to buy, or projects that you need to get done right now, money that you need to have, or like you need to have a husband by now, you need to have a boyfriend by now, or like you need to have a car by now. Why are you not having your house? There's always this like you're too late, you're too late, you're too late story. Like oh, time is against, time is always click ticking, especially for us women, right? It's always like, oh, you missed your window. It's always like you missed your window. So I'm like really hoping to support myself and other people to have a different relationship to time, and like find this ease that is more indigenous and more nature focused. Like, can we surrender and trust that time is our friend? Time heals everything, right? Time heals and allows everything to grow. If time can allow for this whole reality to come into reality, can we allow time to support our projects and our healing, our body's journey, our awakening, or the way that we fall in love or find love, with a lot more grace and patience and like just trust? I think it's very hard, but we can try. Oh. I guess that's a good segue to <laughs> the retreat. So what is it? What are you doing? Yes. Thank you, Cynthia. So yeah, this is really hard for me to really own that. Myself and two friends. One friend is Kit. She's Filipino-American from Providence. She's also a family constellator, family constellation facilitator. And we've done one retreat in Thailand together before the pandemic in 2019 where we brought three people to Chiang Mai and did some constellation work and circle work, practicing deep attunement, deep presencing. The other friend that I invited to this time is a Taiwanese person. Some of you guys might know him, um, Joe Chao Chao. And he has a Reiki workshop in Taipei, and he teaches people how to attuned to Reiki and be initiated into Reiki, Ling Qi Liao Fa. And Reiki is basically source energy. And it's kind of one of the ways that you can tap into the Qi of nature, the Qi of source, and find a different way of aligning to your highest calling, your highest purpose by attuning and being initiated to this source energy. And I find that 
modality to be really magical and really healing and really powerful and helping people clear their mind off of distraction and blocks. And then constellation work allows people to look into generational trauma, limiting beliefs and patterns of money, relationship, health, or even projects and success and power. And I want to really combine Reiki by helping people clear their energy, protect their own energy, and also give them tools that they could investigate their own generational trauma and let go of these generational patterns of like, I need to hustle, I need to suffer to be happy. I need to suffer to be successful or love is painful. Love is sad. I think there are so many stories that we've inherited in our template that we could change so that we can try and live life like children that just show up to play. And it's like playing pickleball. Like we're just here to learn and there's no need to say sorry or apologize because we are late, because we messed up and we can just truly enjoy it like the Camino, just walking every day and smelling the roses with good friends and other people that are ready to find a new way of being with their heart, their feelings, their bodies and their life. So that's kind of the the gist of the spirit of the retreat. It is happening in Chiang Mai, Northern Thailand from December 9th to December 13th-ish. Actually, I think December 9th to the 16th. We will post the link below in the podcast if people want to learn more about it. But yeah, I think healing and therapy is definitely a huge step. And then like going to a retreat or like Vipassana or doing the Camino, basically making space to listen to our heart and what is actually alive for us is the biggest gift we could gift ourselves. And I think giving us, like giving ourselves that forgiveness that you're not late, you're not wrong, you're exactly where you need to be. And you didn't do things in the past that are harmful (laughs) to others. Yeah. What type of people would be a good fit for this retreat? So I think people that are burned out or tired of seeing frustrating patterns in their career, their life, their health, and want to break some certain patterns and regain a better connection to their own life force, life energy, would be a good fit. I think the Reiki that we will learn is a lot about aligning our own energy centers and like connecting to source energy so that it could fuel all our projects. And the constellation work is a lot of intuitive exercises in attuning into each other's field of ancestry and understanding the trauma around money, power, sexuality, or romantic love so that we can reclaim a healthier relationship to all of these elements without taking on a lot of the old beliefs around money and power. So I would say people that are ready to heal and transform their lives and find their highest purpose and calling are all suitable. Or if you just want eight days of chilling and learning and hanging out with some cool people together in Chiang Mai would be great. Chiang Mai is really lovely around that time of year. It's cool usually around the, the, the low 70s at night and maybe high 80s in the morning and a lot of night markets, a lot of good food and a lot of temples. So it's a very spiritually diverse country and it allows for a lot of meditative, slower paced lifestyle. What does a day-to-day at the retreat look like? 
So a lot of times we'll have silent breakfast and the morning practice, either qigong or tai chi or yoga. And we'll have opening circle where people share what they've been looking into. There will be a lot of pair and triad work where you intuitively tune into someone's block or an intention. And then you will just channel and report so that we can look into a pattern or something that your heart wants to be seen. So there's a lot of authentic relating, conscious dialoguing, and circle work. You'll learn tools to really map out your internal landscape of like, this is my block, this is my desire, this is myself. And when I added more elements to look into my parents' pattern, how they relate to the same element of success or money, can I go back further and identify the source of a limiting belief or this guilt around money or shame around money and then releasing it. So there will be a lot of circle work and intuitive work together in a small and big group. And some days we'll be going on a trip to the city, either to go learn something in the temple, learn a prayer or a mindfulness ritual, or go into nature and play with some animals, supporting them in the elephant sanctuaries. And yeah, there will be planned cultural workshops to understand what is a slower, more mindful lifestyle. And also a lot of circle work and practice time to really attune to our heart and to each other. What if you don't know your his- like family history and all that? Yeah. Patterns. Yeah. A lot of this stuff arises when we make space for it. Just like when we meditate, a lot of anxiety and old patterns will finally be seen. And it's like, you probably don't need to know the actual events, right? Like no. a lot of the therapy stuff, it's like the feelings that come up. No, a lot of times it's in the collective. There is a lot of collective trauma that many families share. So sometimes even just being in a circle and watching or observing another person's pattern being released, it also moves something in our own system because there is always similarity and like corresponding patterns in different families that might resonate. So you don't need to know your whole family history to come just an openness to be present and to really offer a lot of compassion for those pieces. I would say the readiness to see our own shadows and also really courageously loving them back is the only request. Yeah. Yeah, because you can't undo that Mm -hmm. pieces of you, right? You can only find ways to, there's like a way to accept it, Mm -hmm. but not have it rule your life. Yeah. In my work, we call it transmuting a block into a resource. Mm. Like, uh, for example, our self-critic is often an ally in trying to protect us. A lot of the times the self-critic is saying, oh, we made these mistakes in the past. Now I want to be super cautious and protect Hui from making the same mistakes. So the next time Hui makes a mistake, I'll remind her again and again, oh, you did that thing. You should be ashamed of yourself. Or like, do you remember that you made that mistake? It sounds really harsh, but if I can really see this inner critic as like, oh, you have great memory. You just really want to establish a standard so I could be safe. You can try and transform this relationship and be like, can I use your specific memory to build out better systems so in the future we can have protocols to prevent similar mistakes instead of harshly criticizing or punishing or shaming or blaming. So the idea is like, can we transform blocks into resources like someone's block maybe they're really stubborn 
But stubbornness, when you use it in the right place, is a resolve. It's a persistence. It's just like, can I relate to my stubbornness in a different way and channel it in a healthier way where I don't feel as painful or struggling? So I think that for me is a powerful potential of constellation work is to really see a lot of shadows that we have denied and excluded in our systems and like really use them as resources. Sounds so good. Thank you. Any last words before we wrap up? Yeah, I just wanted to thank you so much for opening your heart field and your platform for me to talk about what has really been powerful in my journey recently. And I just feel so grateful that it resonated with your journey and you, how you find attunement. And I, I love that we're on a similar path to seed many beautiful dreams and letting them blossom in their own time. So I'm just, I just wanted to be very grateful for that. And also to the listeners who are listening, no matter what intentions or blocks that you're working with, I see the intention and well wish that it will bloom and blossom in its own time. And I just wish all of you remember that no matter what, you're still super worthy, super beautiful, and everything will happen for everyone's highest good in the best timing and the best way. That's what I believe. Thank you, Hui. I'm so grateful to you. And lastly, what's the best way for people to find you and follow up with you? And if they're in Boston, how do they come for acupuncture appointments or other retreats that you're planning? Sure. My website is www.healer, H-E-A-L-E-R, healer, hui, H-U-I dot com. And you can also find me on Instagram. It's healerhui2022 or find Cynthia and find me through there. But yeah, email me or Instagram me. My website has a direct link to book acupuncture sessions and a group constellation sessions if you're interested to look into some ancestral patterns and also some other stuff about my story and we can stay connected. You can find my email address and phone number there. I love to hear about all your projects, your stories, and see how we can help each other's intentions bloom. Thanks, we. Thanks, Cynthia. And that's a wrap for this episode of Taiwanese Diaspora and Friends, part of the New Friendspiration series. If you have any comments or feedback, feel free to reach out to me on social. I am at T-W-D-I-A-S-P-O-R-A on Instagram and that's probably the best way to contact me. All right. I will see you next time.